for scripture today, uh, be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. In Luke 24, 36 through 53. And the, the previous verses uh, referred to the, the story of the road to Emmaus and to the disciples that had adventured that with Jesus um, have returned and joined the remaining 11 in Jerusalem. Again, Luke 24, 36 through 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that it is written, that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Good morning. A blessed, blessed Easter. It was during the 1920s that there was a communist leader who was sent from Moscow to Kiev. He was sent there to address an anti-God rally. Okay, He was loaded for the big knockout blows to this thing called Christian faith faith in Christ, the following of Christ. He got to this event and for an hour he abused and ridiculed the Christian faith until it seemed as if the whole structure of belief was in ruins. And then questions were invited. An Orthodox church priest rose and asked to speak. He simply turned faced the people, and he gave them an Easter greeting. All he said was, he is risen. And the entire assembly instantly rose to their feet, and the reply came back loud and clear, he is risen indeed. 
Today we celebrate the answer that God has for all those who doubt, who disbelieve, who try everything possible to fill in their faith with something else. Who try to fill in and try to, to, to give hope, get hope and courage and strength and whatever from any other source possible. But today, as they did back then, I will just say again, and you don't have to get rise to your feet, but I will just say again, the Lord is risen. He is risen Amen. Easter is the day that God made it clear that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to truly find the fountain of life. He and he alone can make life immortal. One of the reasons that Ferdinand and Isabella supported Columbus in his scheme to find a new world was their hope that he would find the fountain of life. When Columbus landed, he searched for it. He questioned the, uh, the natives about the legendary fountain that would make people young again. And these old legends that they reflected on actually went back even to Spain. They told of how people could be young again if they would just drink from this fountain. King Ferdinand, not long after Columbus sailed, sent out Ponce de Leon to find the island where this fountain was supposed to exist. The Spaniards uh, did want gold for the present, but they wanted the fountain for the future. They wanted it to last forever. This was the motivating factor in exploring the new world. And we have ever since always longed for the immortal to some degree and to major degrees. Animals do not, but humans do, because they are made in the image of the immortal creator. And so they have an inherent desire for immortality. It's, it's built within us. That's the way where we were created. Well, Ponce de Leon went from island to island, drinking water after water after water with no effect. On Easter Sunday, he landed on what he thought was an island, and he called it Florida. They drank water from many springs, but no miracles. Again, they asked the natives questions about the fountain of youth. He was convinced Florida was where it was at. Maybe some of us are too. <laughs> just, just kidding. I'm going to go down there tomorrow and I'll find out if... Uh, I'll, I'll visit as many springs as I can. But believe me, I'm not going to be uh, uh, holding my breath over that. Anyway, on Easter Sunday, he, uh, he uh, landed there in Florida, and he asked them, and the Pope was also informed that they were on the right trail, and he was too excited about the search. It was a Christian mission to find paradise, but instead, Ponce de Leon came to a sudden end. He found death by a, an Indian arrow, and that search ended. We don't have to look any longer we have offered to us a true resurrected life and and one of the things uh, that I think we do is we we tend to think of the resurrection as you know just the promise of eternal life as if as if somehow you know we can just get through all of this stuff here and then finally get to get to the real joy of heaven and 
Yes, it will be very joyful in heaven. But Jesus was working, and if, we, if you've been watching these texts over the last few weeks, you've been seeing this consistent theme in working with the disciples. And one of the things that I like to do is to put myself in the disciples' place, to think about if I were a disciple, would have I, would have I been so much more enlightened what if I understood this so much easier than they did? They seem to struggle, and sometimes we pick on them. But, you know, honestly, are they any different than we are? Do we not have the same doubts, the same questions? Do we not have the same struggles? The true resurrected life that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples wasn't just about going to heaven. Now, we, we know that, that a resurrected life while we are here, few things about that. It always moves from human deficit to God's sufficiency. In other words, all through scripture, you see this movement away from, from uh, our, our struggles, our wants, uh, the things that are always wrong and, and are trying to always compensate ourselves for that. And and we try to do that on our own without recognizing God's sufficiency. It always starts with our broken need for God's healing. Things don't go well, we turn to God. Come heal us, get us back, give us joy, and then, and then we go on our way. It always acknowledges and pro proclaims God's wisdom over our understanding. You know, scripture says, my ways are, not, are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When we understand that and when we acknowledge that, that acknowledgement is the beginning of wisdom. And ultimately, the call throughout all of Scripture is for us to submit to God's will and to God's purpose for our lives. Now, let's go back to this scene, very dramatic scene. Sitting in a room, waiting, what do we do? Not sure. And then here come these two gentlemen that had actually give, were giving testimony that they walked with Jesus and told them the whole story of everything that happened. And then we have it in verse 36. While they were still talking about this and debating this, Jesus was just standing there and with them. A pretty incredible thing. And he says to them, peace be with you. Why does he say that? Why does he say that as the first thing? Because they were not at peace. Look in the next two verses. They were startled. They were frightened. Jesus asked, why are you troubled? So they were troubled. Why do doubts rise in your mind? So they're doubting. They're uncertain. They're in limbo. They're inactive. They're not able to move. And that is exactly what Satan wants us, where he wants us to be and what he want, where he wants us to get stuck at is just, I don't know, so I don't do anything. I don't move forward. Somebody once gave me an illustration when I was a kid, you know, because when they were teaching about, you know, God's will, and they, they basically said, look, don't just go out, like, if, if you're talking about God's will, don't just go out in your car and sit there and wait till it comes to you. Start driving. Get in the car and start driving. It doesn't matter. If you don't know which direction, just move and find out 
as God goes with you that he can steer you. And when you turn it over to God, he cares that we're at least moving. We may not always make the right choices. We may not always feel like we know exactly what we're doing and where we're going, but we're moving, we're, we're trying, we're attempting. You know, my best sense at this point in my life is to go this way. And so at least I'm taking steps to move in that direction. I'm not sure I think that I'm feeling called to this. At least I'm going to take the initiative and move in that direction. And, and this, this youth leader was telling me, you know, God cares more about your desire to be in his will than the level of perfection in doing it. And as long as you're taking the move and, and, and acting on what you feel is right, if that's not quite right, God will steer you this way and say, hey, take a left here, take a right there. And I, I think of that. Now, I <laughs> struggle with that because there's a lot of times when uh, my GPS voice, whatever it is, uh, ends up telling me to take a turn I know is not the right turn. <laughs> but it's doing it on the basis of its logic. The question is, what is God's logic for us? And what does he have in store for us? Um, and so they were in this frightened, frightened place, and they had been missing the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection for quite a while. They were still not, not getting it clear in their head. You remember a few weeks ago, we looked at a passage um, we looked at a passage in uh, John 16 where uh, they were wanting to ask Jesus um, uh, what he meant when he said, in a little while you will see me um, no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Remember, they were questioning this. They didn't understand it. And then finally he said some more, taught them, and they said, now you're speaking clearly. But here, even after speaking clearly and thinking they knew it and understood it, here they are, it's happened, and they're confused and troubled all over again. Sounds like our struggle sometimes. I want to just say, Easter, it's great with the lilies. God blessed us with a gorgeous day outside and for once, I woke up this morning and didn't hear howling wind on the house. And, um, you know, this is a beautiful day. Um, the kids will get some little treats in their bag. Um, and kids, let me just say this, a word to the, to the younger children. If, if you see any adults taking one of those bags... Um, just make sure they have somebody else they're giving it to. Um, and if any of your little goodies are missing out of your bag, let us know. We'll replace them. It's all great. It's, it's a great celebration. But listen, you know what's even greater than this? Is that what Jesus was trying to help them understand was that the resurrection is not meant for a one-time event. It is a daily opportunity to experience new life. And so it's important that we learn what Jesus was really teaching them. You will remember that in Matthew 22, an expert of the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he also said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's really my outline this morning. That the first thing that Jesus was doing was to help clear their heads. Because if we want to love the Lord our God with all our minds, we have to have some clarity to what it is we believe and what it is we're convinced of. And, and we have to have some clarity of a decision and, and understanding that comes from God. So notice in verse 44 of the text that was read, verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then it says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Okay, so, so that one of the first things about this resurrected life and being resurrected again is to, is to clear all of the social messages that we've gotten and all of the opinions and all of the articles and all of the, the news reports and all of that and to clear that out of there and say, I need to go back to the word of God. In Ezra 7.10, it says that Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Now, many of the prophets did that and many of the people did not listen to them, but they devoted themselves, like Ezra, to continuing the study of the word and feeding on the word so that our minds are committed to the Lord. In Proverbs 3, 1 and 6, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, this next verse, two verses, five and six, we could probably say together by heart. Let's, I'll test you on this. Re, just repeat it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, I have to tell you, a few nights ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. Actually, I didn't wake up. I, well, eventually I did because I was, it was so scary, um, that, which is how scary my preaching usually is. But I was dreaming that I was preaching on this very verse. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And I was preaching on this understanding. And uh, I don't remember exactly what I was saying. I just remember waking up thinking, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I'm reciting this thing. Why was I dreaming about that verse? I don't particularly know except to say it hit me. And I, I, I remember... I was thinking about 
what I was going to say about this verse. And I remembered a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm not really good at remembering, remembering my dreams very well. But here was the gist of what I reflected on. It took me a while to go back to sleep because I was reflecting on this verse. Trust in the Lord. Now, we, we all know, yeah, we tend to focus on that. Oh, yeah, we know we're supposed to trust in the Lord. But what does it mean to lean not on our own understanding? In other words, another way of saying it is, what does it mean when we lean on our understanding? What do we live our life on the basis of our understanding? Wow. Underst our understanding, our understanding by itself leads us to less trust in God. Our understanding creates confusion an unclear and uncertain path when it is not guided by God's understanding. Our understanding breaks relationships and looks for reasons to break relationships. Our understanding keeps us holding on to the hurts of the past. Oh, if there's one great thing I wish I could do, you know, because we talk about the cross, we're going to share in communion today. We talk about laying it down and putting it all at the feet of Jesus and yet we hold on to it. We can our hurts and we sit it on a canning shelf. And we have quite a variety of jars there. And when we are upset about something, we go back to that and we have it for supper. And we have it for breakfast. And we have it for lunch. And we have it for a snack. We feed on the past hurts. Oh, if there was one wave of a hand that could bring healing, it would be to enable people to let go of past hurts, past sins, past shame, and to truly recognize that all of our struggle with it, Jesus already claimed it, named it, and nailed it to the cross on himself for us to be free. If we could just understand that, love from God. In other words, our understanding by itself keeps us in the tomb, unresurrected. Even if the stones rolled away, we're not coming out until we're able to trust in the Lord and the Lord's understanding, not ours alone. I want to share a passage from Colossians that says this very directly as Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds... Uh, I'm sorry. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, verse 2 says, on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So it's interesting because the, the thing is that eventually there will be that appearing with him in glory. That's the heaven part. But until that happens, we can be freed and we can be able to overcome. But then verse 5 says this, and this is one of our challenges. To put to death, therefore, whatever belongs 
to your earthly nature. And he lists those. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such of things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, the resurrected self, that's my words, which it says is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Wow. And remember, James echoes this in 317. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The wisdom that comes from above is what we need to seek in order to, to not only clear our minds, but get our minds focused on the right thing. Secondly, pure hearts. Some of the passages in scripture talk about clean heart, clean hearts, but um, pure is, is quite often used. And let's look back to our text again, starting at verse 39. Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. It is me, it's, it's I myself. Touch me and see, the ghost does not, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he then asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a choice or a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. But let's go back to verse 41. And while they still did not believe it, they didn't believe it not because of doubt this time. They didn't believe it because the joy and the amazement was so overwhelming. In other words, their hearts welled up within them. Remember the two that were walking with, with Jesus on the road to Emmaus? And they said, after Jesus ate with them and then left them and had blessed them, they said, weren't our hearts burning within us? There is something in us, folks, as people of faith, we know when the power of God is working because something burns within our hearts that says, yes, yes, this is the joy of the Lord. There's something powerful about that. And so we, we need to, to embrace that same sense of joy, that joy that comes in the morning after much trouble. And believe me, the disciples in that room and in those days we're still uncertain, still doubting, still troubled. And it's not wrong for you to ever return to that or for us to ever struggle with it. Let's not look at, at thinking that we, we can ever entirely overcome that. But one thing we can hold to is that pure hearts have to do with seeking and accepting what Jesus did for us. How can we purify our heart? Dwell on the word of God. Spend time with God. Watch your words to keep a clean heart. Scripture talks about that. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Watch our words. Purify your heart by monitoring your thoughts. Consider the influences affecting your heart. Be repentant. Be open to the wisdom of others. Pray the prayer of Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. We know that God calls us to purify our hearts. That's what enables us, gives us life, gives us joy, gives us amazement, gives us energy that we can, in fact, start anew as a resurrection every single day, every hour. Third, clean hands. They would say, well, where does clean hands come into the, the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we use clean hands to serve the Lord? And let's go back to the text. 40, verse 46. This is what is written. Jesus said, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Well, you can't preach unless you go out and you're, you're extending, you're actually acting on. It's the strength of clean hands that is effective in reaching out to others. It is the strength to serve that comes not only from the resurrection, but in the serving, we are embodying the resurrection of Christ. This was particularly true for them because there was a cost. They were going to be killed, and they, most of them were killed and martyred for their faith. They knew there was a cost, but they knew that the only way that they would have joy in the morning was by serving God in the night and turning to God in the night. He goes on to say in 48, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. With power on high. You know, uh, uh, Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, one of his elements of experiencing God as he acknowledges that God's invitation for you to work with him always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. So if you want to grow in your faith, faith and action. Believe it, live it, practice it, proclaim it, practice it. Believe it, proclaim it, practice it. Put into action the things that we understand. And there is always a crisis of belief in the darkness of the night as it was with the disciples in the troubled time they were in. There was a darkness, but they overcame it. Jesus' resurrection means that you can have a love that will always be present, a courage that conquers fear, a hope that removes your doubts, a grace that forgives your failures, a power that enables you to serve. And that's why he told them to wait and we'll be celebrating in a number of weeks the Pentecost Sunday. But the leading up to that is this preparation of the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to serve. Are you growing in your walk with God? Have you cleared your mind for God's will? Have you cleansed your heart of sin and shame? Have you offered your hands to serve and love Jesus? All these are ways to experience the power of the resurrection. Let's not wait until next Easter. Let's commit 
to the resurrection of spiritual life every single day. In Psalm 30, 4 and 5, as we conclude this series, sing praises, sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You know, on June 8 of 1815, there was a watchman who stood at the tower of England's Winchester Cathedral, gazing anxiously out to sea. At last he saw what he was looking for, a ship sending a message to relay to the towns and villages in England. The watchman strained to see the message as all of England held its breath, waiting to know the outcome of the war between their military general Wellington and the French ruler Napoleon, that ruthless dictator who ruled all of Europe except England, but still posed a a threat to the English. And now in the final decisive battle, that was being fought at Waterloo, this would settle the question of England's freedom once and for all. The Englishman in the watchtower received the news he'd been waiting for. He began to relay the news across the bay via flags to the English people anxiously waiting. As the watchman was signaling, a heavy fog, fog rolled in and only two words got through. Wellington defeated. What everybody thought was bad news spread rapidly, causing gloom and sadness all over the English people. However, the watchman continued to send his message, and when the fog finally lifted, a full and complete message got through. Wellington defeated Napoleon. What a reversal. Talk about turning a negative into a positive. On Friday evening of the crucifixion of Jesus, the message received by the followers of Jesus was Jesus defeated. But on the third day, they learned the rest of the story. And it was startling. They had been wrong in thinking it was all lost. Jesus had been right in telling them he would rise from the dead. And the good news came through loud and clear. Jesus defeated Satan. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He died for the sins of the world according to scriptures. And we need to hear that message. I want to tell you a final as I close, um, as we lead into a closing song here uh, before we take communion. It was 1741 and an old man was wandering the streets of London. That old man's name was George Frederick Handel. At this point, he was angry at life. His mind kept going back to the time when he was famous. He had the applause of royalty and the elite of London. But now his mind was full of despair and hopelessness about the future. The applause was gone. Others were now in the spotlight, and envy began to possess him. Added to that, he had experienced a cerebral hemorrhage paralyzing his right side. He could no longer write. Doctors gave him little hope for recovery. And then he traveled to France. He tried some soaking baths, and it did have some healing effect. And he was able to walk again and eventually able to write again. 
and his success started to return. But then he faced another reversal. Queen Carolyn, who had been his staunch supporter, died. And England was in hard economic times. And the heated large auditoriums for concerts were not permitted. They were no longer permitted. The performances were canceled. And he began again to wonder where God was in all of this. And then one night he returned on his walk. And a, a gentleman by the name of Charles Jennings was waiting at his home. Jennings, Jennings explained that he had finished writing a text for a musical that covered both the Old and the New Testaments. And believed that Handel was the man to set it to music. Handel was indifferent to it as he began to read the words which Jennings had put together. He was doubtful, he was cranky, and he wasn't thinking anything positive about this. But then his eyes fell on such words as he was despised, rejected of men. He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man. Neither found he any to comfort him. And then his eyes raced ahead to the words, he trusted in God. He, God did not leave his soul in hell, and he will give you rest. And finally, his eyes stopped on the words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And in that moment, he became aware of the presence of, of God. He was aware in a new and profound way. And as he picked up his pen, the Spirit of God was moving and the music seemed to just flow through him. He finished the first part in only seven days, and the second section was completed in six days. Many will remember that when the classical work was first performed in London, it was called the Hallelujah Chorus. It was sung by a choir, and King George II was so moved that he stood to his feet. To this day, people will still rise to their feet as this great chorus is sung in praise to God. I want to invite us today that indeed Jesus reigns forever. I want to invite you to sing along to this presentation. And it's not a presentation, it's a participation. Let's joyously sing together the power of the resurrection in Handel's Messiah, the chorus, hallelujah chorus. <laughs> 